We are back for another episode, and I am so excited today. We have our first guest on the podcast. Her name is Dina Daniels, and Dina and I actually connected initially through TikTok. I found her account. I loved what she was sharing, and we're going to get to hear more about that today and why she chooses to share on social media. And then I think at some point, Dina and I also then started following each other on Instagram, and Instagram, I find, is way easier for DM. So we started going back and forth and really connected. And so when I was ready, I was like, I knew I was starting this podcast. I had talked to Dina and I was like, I would love to have you be the first guest. And so I'm really eager to hear more about her story today. So the question I want you to think of as you're listening to this episode is what does being an advocate for your child mean? In today's episode, we're going to have a conversation with Dina about being an advocate advocate. We're going to talk about the roadblocks and lessons in advocating for her son's diagnosis, her venture into educating others on social media and some of the challenges there, as well as how Dina has learned and grew as a mother and a person through her family's autism journey. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking with Dina. Welcome, Dina. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, too. My yeah. first podcast. <laughs> Ooh, really? That's so exciting. Yes, 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 it is. So thank you again. Absolutely. So let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about you, your family, and your connection to autism. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a mom. I have three neurodivergent children. I'm actually neurodivergent myself. I work full-time and my husband works full-time, which makes it a little hectic trying to get everything working out. But we're a family of five. I say we're unleashed because, well, we've unleashed ourselves and let everybody into our neurodivergent world. So here we are. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's your handle on social media, which I will link in the show notes for people if they want to follow you. Yeah, for sure. You said you're a neurodivergent household. So what is kind of the conversations that occur around your household? Is neurodivergent the words you tend to use with Mm -hmm. your kids? And also remind us how old your kids are. Sure. So my oldest is diagnosed autistic. He's also paired with ADHD. And we we started off with Asperger's. And I want to say that lightly because I know it's not a term that's used anymore, but that's where our journey had started and to see how far it's evolved. So he's considered autistic now. So we follow that journey. Asperger's high functioning came next and now autism, autism spectrum disorder. He's 11. And so he's preteen. We have my middle child who's just barely five sensory processing disorder. And our little girl, she's just turned three and being watched and evaluated for autism. So that's kind of us 
in a nutshell. I love what you said about it started with Asperger's and it's been this evolving language and narrative, which I think really reflects the state of the field right now. I've made a huge shift myself. I used to always say child with autism. Now I tend to go to identity first language. But I think that's the thing that is super important is you have to feel comfortable as a parent with how you're describing it. I totally get that. I get that part of it because it is a very sensitive subject in the autism community. And I try to be very mindful of that and what works for them when I'm speaking and for my son too. Yeah, so for your oldest son, how much knowledge does he have about being autistic and being neurodivergent? So he he knows we're very transparent with him and he understands now that he's older, he understands that it's a lifelong developmental disability that he's going to live with and that everything we do and everything that we're working on and saying is to help him be successful later in life, not to hinder his growth. He knows the word neurodivergent. He knows he's autistic. We, we stop saying has autism or with autism because I'm like, he's autistic, right? And it doesn't, it's part of him, but it's not who he is as a human at the end of the day. So yeah, we're very open about it. I love that. I often get parents asking me like, how forthcoming should I be with my child about their diagnosis or their disability? And there's always a case by case basis. But I think the more that within your family, you can start to discuss it, because likely your child is starting to notice some ways Mm -hmm. in which their brain may be thinking differently than other kids. And It's part of building acceptance, I think, around it too, Mm -hmm. is having really real and raw and candid conversations about it. Oh, for sure. And I tell him on his hardest date, I remind him that being autistic, I look at as a superpower. And I say that because I'm like, you see things so differently that I will never, I would never see them that way. And some days it's mind blowing the way he interprets things. And I'm just like, wow, you've really changed my perspective in this situation. Wow. And it's okay to think differently and think outside that box. You don't have to color inside the lines for your entire life. If you want to color outside those lines, that's what I tell them. You do that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 And I actually, I think the part of that I love the most, because I completely agree, being autistic is a superpower, but I love that you have this willingness to shift your perspective and really hear his. So sometimes we talk about this, but then in action, are we actually helping to make neurodivergent individuals feel seen and heard where yes, their way is different, but we still stick to the status quo. And so I love that you're willing to be on this evolution journey with him and also take that step back and be like, wow, I really do see it from your perspective. Yeah, it's it's definitely helpful that that mindset shift was a huge key in me becoming a better parent during this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to hear about the mindset shift, but before we go there, talk a little bit about the journey of getting your son the diagnosis, how old he was, what that process was like for you, and what you would say like the roadblocks were through it and what you Mm -hmm. learned and how you grew. Okay. I'm going to start off and be transparent about this. It was a very painful 
I was not, let's think it was 2014. So I was not very, I was not educated on autism. I was not educated on any type of disability, which made it even more challenging because throughout this entire journey, eight years, I have educated myself because of the lack of resources and the lack of healthcare help at the end of the day. So it started when he turned three, I noticed a shift in behavior. Hindsight, if I look back now, I would have seen more if I was better educated on the subject, but it started around three. I noticed he wasn't using his words clearly. And if he was aggravated, he would take it out on me and trigger warning in case he would hit me and he would hit me a lot. And so I went to the doctor and I said, listen, on top of the hitting, he won't put a toothbrush in his mouth. And if I try, he screams and he was my first child. And I didn't think that was typical of a child screaming that bad from a toothbrush. He doesn't like to take a bath. He only wears the same color shirt every day. He won't wear anything with patterns on it. He covers his ears. And as we got a little bit older, the hitting continued. Then he started walking on his tippy toes. And I'm like, okay. And at that point, he still wasn't communicating very well. So when you first told your pediatrician about these concerns, what was the response to that? He's a boy. He will grow out of it. So me being naive, I said, okay, well, let's give it a little more time. Let's put him in preschool because maybe that's what he needs. So that's what we did. And then it continued, but it continued to escalate because he still was behind his peers in a way with communication. So it was hands-on at preschool and it was the constant phone calls or or text messages through the system that they use. Hey, he's very hands-on today. Can we talk to him? So we continued to talk to him and talk to him. So we went back to age four. I presented with the same subject saying, now he walks on his tippy toes. And the response I got was, he's a boy. He'll grow out of it. I want you to go home and flex his feet. Try flexing his muscles and his feet and let him grow out of this. And at that point, I knew I wasn't going to get the help that I needed. So when Pinterest came out, this is like when Pinterest was taking off. Oh, Searching on Pinterest, believe it or not, that was my search engine. And I thought, why won't my child brush his teeth? Why will he only wear solid colors? Why won't he wear stripes on his shirts? Why won't he wash his hair? And it first, it came up with sensory processing disorder. And then the tippy toe part came. It may be autism. And that's when I really started to push and push and push. But it still took quite a while. Yeah. To get that diagnosis. So then your pediatrician, and this is unfortunately super typical, like kind of right. let's wait and see. He's For a sure. boy. He grows out yeah. of it. I've heard that. That classic line from so many parents, which is so invalidating because mm-hmm. you're trying so hard to advocate. What did you end up doing in terms of getting him the diagnosis? Like, how did you go about that process? So at that point, we were prior military. So we had moved twice in between when I started noticing signs and getting the diagnosis. And the first time I heard anybody agree with me was when we lived in Arizona and it was 2019. And I went to a nurse practitioner that specialized in pediatric developmental behaviors. And she was within two hours, she looked at me and she's like, I'm pretty sure it's Asperger's. She's like, but we're getting away from that terminology. I need to meet with him more frequently. So we went on for another year 
wow. of meeting with her. And she's like, your son is at this point, he, we're going to say it's autism, but because of the insurance we had, they wouldn't take her diagnosis. So we had to be referred to a clinical psychologist. And at that point, we went through that process and we met and she said, I can't decide. I need him to go to occupational therapy for six months. And I need to look at their notes because he will make eye contact with you, but it's, it's fleeting eye contact. So she's like, he looked at me a lot when we played Uno and he communicated and answered my questions. So is it sensory processing or is it autism? Let me see what occupational therapy writes down. Again, they did not diagnose it. They just took notes. After six months of therapy, they sent the notes over. We met again and she said, based on the reevaluation questionnaire I took and occupational therapy, he did receive the autism diagnosis at that point. Wow. Honestly, you and I have talked in DM, so I knew some of this. I didn't Mm -hmm. know the whole story. And I'm literally like at a loss for words right now because it's like people were starting to think it, but then no one would give you the diagnosis. It was like kicking the can down the road. So what I'm hearing, just to make sure timeline, Mm -hmm. it took five years for someone to even begin to hear you. I think around that, yeah. like 2014 yeah. to 2019. Yeah. Then someone finally was listening. You started to feel, okay, like they're understanding, they're noticing these things. And then it was still another year and a half after that till you got the official diagnosis. That is correct. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a journey. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in that journey, you had to advocate so much. It's like you never gave up, which I've is- I've never stopped. I've yeah. never stopped. Yep. I can tell you that much. And I still, to this day, even after the diagnosis, I will say we moved again because we, my husband, he separated from the military and moving here where there's supposed to be more resources in Texas, I picked a pediatrician and she received all the diagnosis from a psychologist pages and pages and pages and pages. And she came back and said, I don't think your child's autistic. He looked at me when I walked into the exam room and I was like, I am, I'm not, I'm not starting over. I'm trying not to get upset. I'm not starting over after what we have been through. And I left, I went, I found another pediatrician that was like, there's, there's no way. Like, how could somebody say that it's just document after document, after document, validating that diagnosis. It's just for them to say, he makes eye contact. He can't be autistic. We really need to get away from that narrative. Oh my gosh. Really, we do. So much. Yeah, because (laughs) the reality is that one, eye contact, it's not like you have to have poor eye contact in order to get an autism diagnosis, but we're also not just looking for the complete absence. And I think this is showing how little education is truly out there. I mean, I do evaluations all the time and yeah, kids look at me. And some of that is maybe they do have some flexibility in their eye contact. And then some of what comes up, and I don't know if this is the situation, but part of it too, is we're talking about potential social masking, where maybe your son has learned that he should make eye contact when someone walks in the room. And so it's like, not only that, but let's also talk about how pediatricians appointments are like 15 minutes when not officially, but override a diagnosis in that short of time is right. it's harmful honestly it is it is and this is why i began my social media journey because of how 
hard we struggled. And I had, I said to my husband, I know there's other parents out there that have gone through this. I know there are out there and they need to hear this, that they will get the end result. You just have to find that one person that will help you Yeah, and not to give up. So Absolutely. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that shortly because I think this is a really big part. But yeah, I think that's why you and I connected so much too is like this idea of you just need to keep advocating. And like I, and I'm sure you've seen this, but I talk about all the time, like you are the expert of your child. And sometimes in our medical system, the professionals, they are experts in their field. Just like I'm an expert in autism, I am an expert in clinical psychology and early child development, but I'm not the expert in your child, you are. And we need to have, I hope we start to see the medical field have more of a collaborative nature. That is my hope that we need to be meeting with parents together to really figure yeah. out how to best support their children. 100%. Yes. So you mentioned about a mindset shift that you mm-hmm. had around autism and you obviously had a lot of education, like self-education mm-hmm. and advocacy that you were doing, but talk a little bit about once you received that diagnosis or even maybe through this long journey, what were some of the shifts that you you had to have as a parent? Right. Right. So the first shift was the old parenting style of why don't you just yell at your child more? Why don't you discipline them more? Why don't you demand them to eat the food that you put in front of them? Which I never really followed, but I was, I was pushy. I was like, come on, you gotta eat. Come on, you gotta eat. Again, being uneducated and not knowing sensory processing and autism go together and autistic children don't like certain foods and you can't force them to eat. And then even just learning how forcing a child to eat can cause so many problems in the future. I've really learned to listen to my children through this journey. I listen to them. Like I want to hear their, their feedback, but in a respectful way. And if they're being in a way disrespectful at times, especially being a preteen, I do let them know, like, I'm glad you told me how you feel, but you could definitely make a better choice with your words. Yeah. Yeah. My mindset shift was definitely to listen to them, become a more attentive parent than just the old way of you do what I say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting parenting, what we know about it. Historically, like the Mm -hmm. way parents learn to parent is by watching their parents parent. It's a generational thing. And I think we're seeing an effect of as we learn more about child development and how the brain works and all of that. I think parenting approaches are switching from previous generations. But then I do think when you have a neurodivergent child or an autistic child, there is a shift in parenting too that happens as a result of that. And then sometimes family and friends around you, did you ever experience that where they didn't necessarily see the shift you were making? It was still kind of status quo parenting. Oh, oh yeah. All the time. I, all the time. And I wouldn't call anybody out on this. Totally. That's not who I am, but I, yes, I still see it to this day. Even it's, it's hard to make friends because I've heard literally, wow, I'm glad I don't have to deal with what you have to deal with. I don't know how you do it. I don't think they realize what they were saying. You know, and so a person is typically when I'm venting in a way would say, 
well, my child's normal type mindset and verbiage. And it gets me, I don't think they mean it when they say it the way it's coming out, but I'm thinking, well, you probably shouldn't say that to people either, right? It's, It's a lot. If you don't have an autistic child, it's hard to find parents that understand what you go through on a daily basis and what your child goes through on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a struggle. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to, I think there's just such a lack of education and knowledge. And the previous episode I recorded and will air before this one was all about neurodiversity and starting to really think about diversity in terms of neurodiversity. There's been such a shift in terms of talking about racial diversity and gender diversity and all these different areas, but neurodiversity really hasn't caught up to that. And how much is rooted in this neurotypical world of, you know, probably this person is well-intentioned trying to create some sympathy, but not realizing how right. that it's hard when that, right. what does normal mean? Right. Yes. And that's where my brain goes, but their brain doesn't because they don't, their child's neurotypical and it's hard to even get into that conversation. It is. Absolutely. So I'm curious then what if a parent's listening to this right now and they're kind of in earlier stages than where you're at right now. They're going through this journey of trying to advocate for a diagnosis or maybe even accept it themselves and learn to shift their parenting. What would some of your like biggest tips be or like your lessons learned that you would want to pass on to them? Sure. So if you're starting your journey and you have your mother intuition and you feel like your child's neurodivergent, take notes. The biggest thing I've learned, especially going through this with my daughter, even on your iPhone, in your notepad, anything, notate everything. Because when you go into those doctor's appointments, especially if they invalidate you the minute you start talking, all of that information you have stored in here and want to talk about, it's gone. It's gone. You're so overwhelmed. So take those notes. And I have no problem at this point whipping that notepad out and be like, Here is what I have notated and here's what is continuously going on. And this is the resource that I need and the referral that I need. Let's start here. So take notes, journal, journal your heart out. And if you can't do it in that moment, wait until the kids are in bed or child's in bed and do it at night. Whatever you can remember, write it down. Wow. That is such a good tip. I I get questions a lot. As a child psychologist, people are like, What do I need to come prepared with? And this is not a helpful answer. I'm often like, you're just going to share about your child. But as long as the clinician knows autism, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. But the reality is, is not every provider knows autism. And you made such an important point there, in particular, having this go-to list when you are invalidated because it's easy to shut down and then your mind literally goes blank. That's a human Mm -hmm. phenomena. And so to have that anchor point to come back to, I think is, is genius. Yes, for, for sure. It it helped me a lot. We had a great doctor for my daughter who unfortunately left, but I never felt that way, but I still had my list out because the nerves get to you. The emotions get to you too. So it's just, you're a ball of emotions in those appointments. And it's just better to have that list handy and ready, whether it's electronic or, or handwritten. Yeah. That's my biggest, biggest tip. 
I love that. And that's something I'm going to start passing on to parents I work with. One of the cool things with the way that I've developed my practice, since it is my practice, I can do what I want. And this is not typical, but parents actually get a direct contact, like my cell phone number. And I'm like, text me if you notice things throughout the week, or I'm doing an evaluation right now where I really encourage the mom. I was like, send me little video clips. Let me Mm -hmm. see what it's like on a day-to-day basis, because that is the other piece to, I think, emphasize here is whoever the clinician is, even if they're the best clinician in the world, they're still only getting a snapshot of your child's behavior. And there's so much more that goes on. And this is why your voice as a parent is so important to really educate the clinician on what what really day-to-day is like. And like you said, there are so many emotions in this process that I think, yeah, I love this idea for sure. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And just to give you an example, when going through this with my, my daughter, the original pediatrician we saw here said the same thing. When I brought up my concerns about her, she looked at me, she looked at you. She can't be, she can't be autistic. She's too pretty. And that was like the turning point of, I got this list. I'm going to find another pediatrician who's going to listen to me. And she was fine with me reading my list of concerns down. And I said, listen, I know how this goes. I would like a referral to occupational therapy and speech therapy. And again, those two professions can't diagnose, but they can take very detailed notes for you that you can provide back to a developmental pediatrician. And it's been working because great. My daughter looked at the doc, the original doctor when she walked into the room, right? She looked at me. But throughout this past year with speech therapy, it's been notated that she can make eye contact, but it's fleeting eye contact. It's not maintained. It's not quality eye contact. Someday she prefers to look straight and not look at you at all when she talks to you. And it's it's good documentation to have. Yeah. Also, in often this long journey, getting her the support that she needs while you're you're going through this process, being proactive Mm -hmm. in all of that. For sure. You're so right. And yeah, with speech and OT, you don't need a diagnosis. That's the really good thing about it is Mm -hmm. as long as Mm -hmm. there's some delays or challenges, especially through outpatient, although you can go through like an early intervention system or the school system as well. But yeah, I love that idea too, is basically building your case. So then it becomes a little bit easier to really advocate for your child. Yeah. And not many parents know about these resources. I didn't know about occupational and speech therapy till way later. I didn't know about going through the public school system to start early intervention. I had no idea. So I was like, now is the time to spread this message. So, Oh, I love it. With your daughter, just briefly, what's that journey been like and where are you at with it right now? So it's, it's been a year. She went into speech therapy, not really speaking. And I have to, we have to be mindful. She's a pandemic baby through and through. She was three months old when it hit. Mm -hmm. So that generation of children are showing signs of being developmentally delayed. So, and again, I'm not a clinician, but from what I've heard and what I've seen on research papers, they're showing delays. And I'm like, yeah, well, I also have an autistic child and the likelihood that they have an autistic sibling is typically higher. So I'm mindful. I'm open-minded to this. I would never go into the doctor and demand you diagnose my child 
but I put it out there to say, Hey, let's start this early enough. And it has worked because she started speech therapy at two. She's graduating out of it next week. And she's speaking clear as day. She's remembering songs, song lyrics, singing at the top of her lungs. And she's able to answer the speech therapist, sixth grade level questions. And I feel if we didn't have early intervention, we probably still would have been in a similar spot. Yeah. There's still areas of work, believe me, but when you get that early intervention, they make strides. So it's super important. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. I remember seeing in your stories that she was graduating. I was like, this is so fun. I I love it. How have you learned and grown as a person through this journey? And what do you also think was some of the most challenging pieces for you? The most challenging, we'll start there, is the lack of resources and support. It can be a very lonely journey, Mm -hmm. which is why I wanted to start on social media because there are times still where I do feel, I feel very lonely. It's hard to make that, that connection with, with other parents when you have a neurodivergent child and they don't understand. If I want to leave a party early because I can sense my child or children are getting way overstimulated, I don't want to explain that. But if I do, some people might not understand. I got to bounce because I see his eyes getting glossy. I see him pulling on his hair. I see my daughter starting to bang her head on the wall type thing. It's time to go. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, time. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the lack of understanding and the support at times is very challenging and it can make it, it can make this journey lonely. As, as positive as I try and see all of this, there are some, there are some downfalls, which is the loneliness. Mm-hmm. How I've improved parenting 100% is the way I communicate as a parent to my children. This journey, it started off with kind of my way or the highway. Well, why can't you look at me? Like, why aren't you looking at me? And it's, it's come full circle where it's to the point, if he doesn't want to look at me, I continue to have that conversation because I know him not looking at me is he's processing it. He's processing it. And that's the most important part is that he's hearing me and I've learned to communicate better with him. And it's taught him to communicate better with me. Like I posted on your Facebook group. Well, he started flying me paper airplanes to talk to me. He and I had no idea. He's like, Did you look inside? I'm like, No, why would I look inside? <laughs> he goes, Read it. And it was very short and simple, but to the point. And it was amazing. Like, I'm sorry. I, I think I heard your feelings with what I said. And it was just a pivotal moment in communication with him. And, and I'm okay with that. Like, my child does not have to come down to me, stare at me in the eye apologize we allow him to text us if he's having a difficult time if you prefer texting me because that way he doesn't have to make any type of contact and if he's so much more comfortable we let him I said go text me if he says no I'm like fine text me later sometimes he does if he remembers now we started flying paper airplanes around the house so I become a better listener and a better communicator yeah uh, for myself and my kids definitely that's beautiful Yeah. And I love these like accommodations that you're talking about can make such a huge, huge difference. It does because like you can't, and this is for any child. It's my way, the highway. It it doesn't work. 
we were made to believe, and I'm in the millennial generation, that this type of parenting works. And it doesn't. It really, it doesn't at the end of the day. Yeah. Your kids are human. They're little humans, but they should have a voice too. Mm -hmm. And I think that matters. Yeah. And we all just want to be seen and heard and feel like we're understood is what it comes down to, whether you're five or you're, I don't know, like 45, like it it works the same. And I do think we've seen huge shifts in how parenting is starting to go when Mm -hmm. lots of focus on emotional validation as well, which I think is beautiful. So question for you is how have you supported yourself through this journey? I typically support myself through exercise and I know that's not for everybody, believe me, but I even like even just taking a walk, just getting that vitamin D when you can and to stay in routine because as having ADHD myself, I thrive on routines. Even adding a simple skincare routine to my day helps me. It helps me feel a little bit more alive at the end of the day after being a mom and working. So I encourage other moms, parents, caregivers out there, set up a routine. If you don't like exercising, learn how to meditate. And I say learn because meditation is a learning process in itself. You can't just meditate. I wish it worked that way. Set time aside for yourself, even if it's five minutes. I'm not kidding. My oldest made me a door hanger that says five minutes of peace as a joke when he was very little. I still have it. And if I need five minutes, I will lay in my closet for five minutes with that door hanger on just to gather my thoughts because there are days it's a neurodivergent household. I'm overstimulated easily just as a parent and being ADHD. All of my kids are, and there's some days where it's just completely, it's chaotic. It is complete chaos. And you need to learn how to silence your mind and take a deep breath. And for so long, I've held my breath like this. I've walked around like this in deep breathing and meditation, just taking five minutes, five minutes to get yourself together will help you. So yeah. at the end of the day, I'll advocate for my kids all day long, but if I'm running out of steam, it'll have an effect on everybody around you. Yeah. And I think that's often an underappreciated part of this journey Mm -hmm. is it's, and it's a beautiful thing to hop into advocacy and really supporting your child and what they need. And I think sometimes that it is easier as a parent of an autistic child to forget to stop and refuel Mm -hmm. because your mental load is much, much higher than Mm -hmm. many other parents because you have to remember all these therapy appointments and then you're talking to teachers at school and helping them problem solve. You don't get to just like go to work and think of just your job that day. You might be interrupted by an email coming through that type of thing or a therapist calling Mm -hmm. or just so many different elements of that. So yeah. Yes. 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 Please try. And if you have a good support system, take advantage of it because being military moving around, we did not. So it made it very hard for us, even as a couple to stay in tune with each other. So take advantage of your support system. If you can try and find someone that can watch your child for five minutes so you can lay in your closet in silence. I promise it's worth it. (laughs) It is awesome. I love that. 
You've alluded a little bit to how you started. You wanted to provide a resource, but you have a following on Instagram, TikTok in particular. Talk a little bit about what that journey's been like and also what gave you the guts to just do it? Well, my first two videos, which are, I guess, semi-embarrassing is me sitting in a chair bouncing around with sensory toys. I'm like, well, we have found a ton of sensory toys that work for us. I'm like, why not share this? My child's autistic. He's diagnosed ADHD and all this stuff has worked for them. Even during the pandemic, like we bought those colored blocks that they could climb over. We bought the nugget where they could use as a crash pad at night. And I say, I grounded my children every night because it's grounding them is letting them fly into this soft crash and just crash and let all those wiggles out. And I'm like, well, let me just bounce around on TikTok and see what it's about. <laughs> I don't know. And I got a decent amount of views just on these sensory toys and got a lot of questions like, where did you find these? How do they work for kids that are autistic? How do they work for kids that are ADHD? And I'm like, maybe now's the time to start sharing a little bit more of a personal journey. And I kind of just started making videos and it just, it took off. It, and I talk about topics that you don't hear about. Like you have to dig deep into research papers to find these things. And a lot of people don't have time, but I don't mind spending time late at night doing this because it not only helps me and my children, it helps other families too. That's yeah. kind of where we got. And it exploded. I never intended for it to explode other than to help a few people. I've had moms reach out to me saying that based on my videos, they were able to get a diagnosis finally because they were able to notate certain things that they didn't even realize were related to being autistic. Wow. So it's been, it's been really neat to watch. Yeah. yeah. And how impactful just right. getting those messages. I will say, I know personally, those are my favorite messages to receive. Yeah. Just knowing if it helps one person to me, yeah. that's so worth it. Right. And that's always the way I've looked at life in general. Cause I always felt like I have that helper personality. Who can I help? Who can I help? And I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It yeah. all worked out this way for a reason. So totally. Yeah. You yeah. and me both on the helper personality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me though a little bit. There were some challenges with being on social media. Yes. Well, you have the negativity. And I find it more as much as I enjoy and love TikTok because you can really spread messages there in a rapid fire. That message cannot get out there quickly. You have the negativity of ADHD doesn't exist. Mm. Autism doesn't exist. I, I mean, I've seen it all. He's a boy. And typically they don't even have a username type thing. And I've had a psychologist say they were psychologists come on my page, which I had to block and say like, your child doesn't look autistic. Why do you think your child's autistic? And that's the other part of it. The whole, and I've done a lot of videos on this, your child does not look autistic. And I've heard that. I've heard it in person. I've heard it from providers. I've heard it on social media and the negativity can bring you down. I, I did take a break from it because somebody said some nasty things. And I was like, not doing it. I'm here to help. It's probably time to take a mental health break from this and yeah. come back and recircle. But people don't agree with some of the things that I'm posting. Like example, I posted a snippet from Bluey and it's from Jack's perspective, which is the child with ADHD. And you don't see that represented anywhere. You don't see it from a child's point of view. So I posted it and it went 
viral in like a day on Instagram. And then like two days later on TikTok, there's millions of views on it. Wow. And as much positive and people are like, OMG, I feel seen. I feel heard by this clip. Thank you so much for posting it. There's a lot of negativity and backlash. Like, well, why can't we have a girl dog? Why girls are so underdiagnosed? And I understand that because I'm late diagnosed ADHD. I get it. I don't bounce around. I stare out the window and get lost for 10 minutes. I go upstairs and don't remember why I went upstairs. But again, as much positive comes out of it, you have a lot of, you get a lot of backlash. So you have to have thick skin to get through some of that. And I do, but it's also good to take a break. Yeah. And I think it comes back down to your values of like why you started Mm -hmm. this and all of that. But I think it's also really hard because one, people love to give their opinion on the internet. But two, so hearing you say this right now, what it takes me to is, wow, for so many years, you were told that you were wrong. You were invalidated about your son and you finally get through that journey. And now people are coming out of the woodwork again, doing the same thing. And even though you know and have that clarity now, there's still a wound there. It still Mm -hmm. was a painful journey would be my guess. And people don't realize sometimes that their words have such impact. What seems maybe that they're just saying it, it's like, there's a bigger story here and how those words are received can. Right. Yeah. 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 Especially when you have a video go viral, like the one I always post and I repurpose it because that's what you do with your content sometimes is all my kids walking on their tippy toes. Right. And I repurpose it with like positive autism affirmations, I call it. And it'll go viral because people are just intrigued that my children walk on their tippy toes and you'll get the comments of, Oh, I love this. Or, well, don't all kids walk on their tippy toes because they don't take the time to go to my profile to see that this is a whole journey. Right. So you have to kind of like peel that layer back and be like, okay, well, clearly they didn't look at any other of my videos before this one hit their algorithms. (laughs) Right. Right. I take it with a grain of salt. There's a balance, but I love that you are willing to do this because again when i came across your account i was like yes i love educating about autism and it it is my life passion and to have another parent be able to do that and speak to you in a way that you get to hear their experience i think it's it's so incredibly helpful and this is where i feel like we can all team up together. It's the same like listening to autistic adults themselves and self-advocates, right? We all add these like different perspectives, but that that parenting voice is so, so well needed. So thank you for yeah, doing that. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I also know that you started to kind of venture into being an affiliate with different companies. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about those companies and what made you align with them. And we will put your link in the show note if parents are interested in exploring these companies and what you promote. Yeah. So first it's Love Every. And that's how you say it because you often get questions. How do you say their name? And it's, it's developmental toys made for ages zero to four years old. But the thing that I love about it, because all these toys are developmentally based, and motor skills, gross motor skills, fine motor skills based, is that even though my autistic child, 10, 11, when we started getting into this, 
he benefits from it. We got this, it came with a sewing kit and just that he loved it. It calmed him down threading the needle and it was, the needle was bulky. The holes were bigger so that he did not feel that level of frustration. He can engage with the littles here that love to play with it and he gets benefits out of it. So really, I actually reached out to Love Every after we received our first box from them and said, hey, do you mind if I incorporate your toys into like our autistic journey? Because my son loves it. Like even the tunnel that they sent us, the fabric tunnel, he got in it. He's rolling around the floor. I mean, it's made, they said it's made for toddlers, but I mean, he fit in it fine. And it was just great for him. They get them that body awareness, that sensory processing, loves it. And they they recently started offering disability services through their website. So you don't even have to buy a toy box from them full of the developmental toys. So you can actually reach out to one of their specialists and, and talk to them saying, hey, can you just verify, do you think my child's meeting these developmental milestones? And they give you the support that you need at no cost. Wow. So it's, it's pretty nice. And they could give you some resources as to like, well, I'm, this is where they should be based on the guidelines. It might be time to X, Y, Z. Wow. So it's a great company and their toys are phenomenal. Yeah. I've heard of them yeah. from yeah. working with toddlers and preschoolers. Like I have parents that mm -hmm. will get them, yeah. but I didn't ever think about it, about how it could be really supportive for an autistic child. Yeah. And I had no clue about the resources they provide. That's something new they started. It's, it's just, it's, and it's amazing company. I love their toys. Yeah. 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 So Brain Pop, I partnered with them because my oldest son loves electronics and you know, as well as I do, they can get lost in their gaming world. And we only allow Minecraft, no chat feature. It's just our preferences, parenting, those boundaries. And he loves Minecraft and he'll get lost in it. He loves watching these YouTubers on his YouTube Minecraft. Like he'll watch it for hours, but I also want him to get some education downtime. So Brain Pop offers all types of subject education, movies, games. You can even use it as a homeschooling service. If you choose to homeschool your child, they provide all of the material. Oh, wow. So it's been really great. Like it helped us in the airport when we traveled over the summer and the flights were being delayed and I could tell he wasn't handling it well. And there, it was getting later and we still were on the plane. And I was like, let's pop on some brain pop. Let's not focus on the screen in front of us because that's what was happening. We were starting to hyper-focus, right? Yeah. And I'm like, let's put that energy somewhere else. So we did. And it, it helped him calm him down. He got to learn a little bit about voting and, and playing some games and understanding more social studies and stuff like that. So it's a great, it's a great website. And I know teachers can use it too. They can implement it in their classrooms. So yeah. Yeah, those sound great. We'll link those links. We'll also yeah. link both your TikTok and your Instagram. So yeah, that sounds great. The connect. more the merrier. <laughs> yeah, come connect with you, learn from you. Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation and so much just depth to it. But anything else that's on your heart that you want to make sure to share before we wrap up? Yes. If you're having a hard, rough patch, it's, it's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of highs and a lot of lows. There's going to be a lot of good things. And it might not look like it now, but your child is going to make huge strides. But at the end of the day, just remember when it comes to being autistic, it's in their own time. And I really try and push that message when I say it in their own time, meaning they will get there. They will get there. 
and don't worry about the pressure that society puts on us competition and parenting and developmental in their own time. Oh, so good. Well, thank you, yeah. Dina, so much. Thank you for having this conversation, being willing to share so openly, because I know there are parents out there that need to hear this story and mm -hmm. see some of that hope and also have some of those shifts in, in their parenting approaches. And just also, I think the biggest theme of this episode was advocating for your own child. And I love how you've taken your advocacy mm -hmm. to social media as well and really helping other parents. So thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. It's been a really good journey and it doesn't feel so lonely some days sharing this and hearing from other parents and caregivers saying we went through the same thing. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And if you follow me, just message me anytime. I will do my best to get back to you as soon as I can and help get those resources. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.